Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join us to kick off the show is Gina Belafonte, and she's the youngest child of Julie and Harry Belafonte. She's an actress, producer, and co-director of a wonderful nonprofit, uh, Sankofa. It's a social justice organization, and it's founded by her dad, Harry Belafonte. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Gina Belafonte. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to call in. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I have a bunch of things I would love to touch on. First of all, um, I can't imagine no one's familiar with your dad, but uh, if they're not, how would you describe him? Mm -hmm. Um, I would describe him as a freedom fighter, an artivist, uh, a unique... Um, authentic, very wise for his years when he was younger and continued through to be one of the most brilliant strategists. Um, And a man who dedicated his life to social justice activism in the arts and used his platform, used the platform of his celebrity to engage his public and the fans to ideas and concepts of the beloved community and for social change, and also engage the community in music and culture that perhaps was not readily available to them in their in their uh, in their towns and cities and mm-hmm. countries. He was um, he is an incredible uh, American patriot hero. You are so blessed. I, I have, like, chills listening to you talk about your dad. Oh. You know? So from an early... I am blessed. You, <laughs> I am blessed, I mean, for I sure. can feel it just listening to you. Uh, so from an early age, uh, you must have felt very influenced by him and his passion uh, for what he was doing. Yeah, I was influenced by both my parents. Um, I was conceived in social justice activism. Um, my mother is a... <clears throat> white, Russian-Lithuanian Jewish chick from the Lower West Side of New York, (laughs) and uh, she grew up with extremely progressive parents and the way in which they thought spiritually and ideologically and politically, and uh, my mother was very political, or is, she still is, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, she would take me out on the street and to paper the neighborhood, to canvas the neighborhood for a for a politician that they wanted to support and believed in. Um, she had me stuffing envelopes and licking stamps and being a part of the the strategy meetings. And uh, my father was the same. And in my father's right, I was able to go to many of his performances. He would bring us to as many as he possibly could. He did his best to tour when we were on vacation so that we could go with him. And um, I had the opportunity to watch him... Uh, engage an audience, how he very incredibly crafted his sh- his show mm-hmm. so that it told a story. And I learned very early on uh, how to capture uh, an audience and how to disseminate information. Um, it's taken me, you know, a long time to figure out my own method and my own process and my own way sure. and how it fits in with my uh, walking through the world, but mm-hmm. um, both my parents had an incredible influence on me as a child, uh, and also my aunt. 
my father's sister came to live with us when she was young and I was still a child and um, she be, she was uh, one of the original SNCC members and so she also was extremely extremely political. She went off to uh, become the chief of staff for three different Congress people. Wow. So my my family has a has a um, just a way about them that yeah. is ten, has a tendency to be extremely engaged and extremely political. So um, I soaked it up it's fantastic. as much as possible. Uh, not to mention the incredible men and women that came through the doors of my home as a child um, that I got to meet and sit on laps and touch and you know and 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 hear their words of wisdom and engage in. In, in just listening as much as I possibly could, as, as long as I was able to stay in the room before I needed to be excused as a child, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so those were all the aunties and uncles that, um, you know, were part of the movement that also had a deep impression upon my life as well. I, I think t- about today where kids are just off on their phones and here your education was perhaps in your living room with all these incredible people. Yeah, yeah, there were no, the only distraction there was for me um, was TV, and it was pretty regulated. We couldn't watch it all the time. There were mm-hmm. no TVs in our room. They were in, you know, a central location uh, where the family, you know, experienced it usually together. There was very rarely did we um, watch TV alone uh, in those days. Mm-hmm. If I ever watched, I was usually with my brother or uh, with my siblings in some way um, or with family. So we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff. Um, so yeah. we also were uh, distracted and engaged in other creative ways, you know, with, uh, we were lucky enough to have dolls and, you know, model airplanes to build and um, right. drawing and paper and pens. And um, my mother's mother, my grandmother, was uh, a visual artist. And so uh, she engaged me quite a bit in painting and drawing and things like that. That is the best. I grew up, as I mentioned, I grew up in New York and, my playground were really the streets of New York, roller skating and just being out and interacting. And or if I was back in my apartment, I lived on East 86th Street, I'd be creating, making things constantly. Yeah, I mean, you know, in those days, too, it was the kind of thing where we had to be back before dark or back before, you know, before dinner. Mm-hmm. So after school, once homework was uh, accomplished, we would have the freedom to just, on our own, go down in the park and yes. play. Um and um, my parents um, believed in us uh, being out in the in, in the wild streets of New York City, <laughs> uh, getting our education that way too. Oh yeah, um, which we very much did. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about your TED talk, finding your identity. I laughed out loud when you shared uh, the very start of the TED talk about how you know your mother's this, your dad's this, and you're Puerto Rican. Yeah, um, often when I was a kid, people would say, what are you? Um, those were the days, I guess, when it was okay to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I would say my mother's white, my father's black, and I'm Puerto Rican. Because I uh, most identified physically, certainly, um, with Latino folks, and I was searching for identity. My father's experience growing up in Jamaica with a white grandmother um, in a household of varying degrees of darkness and lightness on skin tones, um, I guess was the most similar to mine, although he grew up in, you know, on the island of Jamaica, which is a very different experience. But I think as a child, he too felt like, you know, 
depending on whether his mother was dodging rent or not, they often had to sort of change identities and, you know. So, but my mom, you know, grew up also, you know, in a Russian-Lithuanian neighborhood. I don't think she was ever asked what she was, though she also, later in life after, you know, finishing high school early, um, went to the Catherine Dunham School. So she was the only white member of an all-black dance company. Wow. Um, and wow. so... So growing up, you know, I, I favored the looks of my mother more than my father, but mm-hmm. I still had, you know, a nice, as we say, trigueño in, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in Spanish, uh, you know, deeper, rich color in my skin. And so I just sort of gravitated toward, toward the uh, Latino community and Puerto Rican community in particular um, until I got older and then that expanded as well. But my first boyfriend was Puerto Rican. My first, you know, like a lot of my girlfriends were Puerto Rican. I uh, danced salsa. My mother taught me how to dance salsa. Beautiful. So I became a salsera, and I just really identified with the culture and the music, and I was totally immersed in um, the island, the Latin island experience, and there were not many Jamaicans, um, island Jamaicans that came through our life. So most readily available for me in that experience where I self-connected was in the Puerto Rican community, and I was welcomed with open arms, which that's was great. That's um, You know, and a lot of the times I would get in trouble only because I have a pretty good Spanish accent, but I really don't speak Spanish very well. Oh, you don't. So, so I could answer a question, you know, like if someone would ask me something, and if I didn't know, I'd be like, yo no sé, you know, and they'd look at me, and they would be like, no, 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 actually, I don't speak Spanish very well, and I'm so sorry, and they would kind of get mad at me. Sure, you're busted. They thought I was trying to diss them, or that I was like some poor, you know, Latin child whose parents are trying to, you know, colonialize me and speak English or something, but in fact, I actually don't, and I speak a little better now, but I didn't speak Spanish very well then, but the TED Talk was... A real wonderful experience. I got a call from um, two men. One is Breon Bain, who I work with even today, who's an incredible artist and activist, um, an artivist, as we, as we call ourselves these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and another man by the name of Sean Pika, who runs Hudson Link, uh, which is an uh, education program that goes into uh, prison, a higher education program. And um, Sean was organizing TED Talk out of um, Sing Sing Prison and uh, asked me to come and participate. And I was so honored and thrilled to be able to come to Sing Sing and be a part of the TED Talks from inside Sing Sing. And uh, that's where I was able to give that, that talk. Incredible. Now tell me about uh, your nonprofit. Is it pronounced Sankofa? Sankofa, yes. S-A-N-K-O-F-A. It's sankofa.org. And we're an organization that was uh, founded by my father that educates, motivates, and activates, uh, activates artists and allies in service of grassroots movements and equitable change. So we work on developing and creating cultural initiatives that not only raise awareness to shift the cultural narrative, but we also provide um, capacity building and support for artists and organizations that are compelled to engage in the, you know, like national and even international discourse of social justice. Sure. And this this is incredible because your dad started this, and uh, it seems like a perfect fit for you. 
Yeah, um, you know, we started working together many, many years ago. Um, strangely enough, my father asked me to be his acting coach. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not so strange given my education, but uh, the level of celebrity of who he is, people always are always like, what, you had an acting coach? Um, but he hadn't been on, on screen for 17 years and was asked to participate in the film uh, with... John Travolta, and John Travolta was just coming off of Pulp Fiction, and when I read the script, it was okay, it was an interesting attempt to, cre- to, to have a race conversation, it was called, it's called White Man's Burden, mm-hmm. um, it is, um, it, I, I have to say, honestly, I don't feel like the film lived up to all it was intended to be, and, but it was a, you know, it was a, it was a good effort. Yeah. Uh, but my father, you know, hadn't been on screen, and so he said, what did you think? And I said, I think it's great. I think you should absolutely do it, but I also think you should get, you know, a coach and have, and we had a coach uh, at that time, both of us, mm-hmm. a woman who worked with us both um, and had worked with him on previous films. And I said, call Alice and see, you know. Anyway, he called me back after half an hour mm-hmm. and said, well, would you do it? And I thought, oh, no. Oh, well, <laughs> what am I going to get myself into? Right. Um, but I said, I'll do it under two conditions. If you actually really listen to me mm-hmm. uh, and really take under consideration the, what I might offer and advise you, um, you know, I'm not, I don't expect you to necessarily do everything I ask you to do, but I do expect you to hear me and take it under advisement. And I said, and the second thing is I can't call you dad. I got to call you Harry. I got to call you Mr. B. I, gotta call you, <laughs> I can't call you dad on set. And he, he said, fine, to both of those. Okay. And, um... And then, um, so that was back in the 90s, and um, we, we've been working together ever since. Uh, I worked on four or five other uh, films with him, and then um, soon after that, I realized, after I saw a film that my girlfriend made on her father, I thought, oh, you know, I should do that too, because, you know... Sure. My dad's made an incredible contribution, and he's really cool, and he's got great, you know, it's music, it's art, it's yes. social justice, it's all these things. So I approached him and asked him if he would allow me the luxury to, to film him. I said, I think it's time. You've done so many things. I think you've been at the forefront of so many movements, whether it's civil rights or whether it's the um, Native American movement or the women's movement or the anti-war movement or anti-nuclear Movement. I said. Uh, I said. There's so much to talk about. Um, what do you say? We, can we do it? And he said yes. So perfect. So we together embarked uh, on the process of creating "Sing Your Song," which is a film that came out in 2011, um, edited and directed by the most incredible uh, Suzanne Rostock, who is just a genius in taking the existing footage that we had already shot and also uh, so much archival. Footage, um, and she, along with the assistance of Jason Pollard, um, sculpted an incredible piece that um, we've had the good fortune to take all around the world, and still do. As a matter of fact, we've got a screening coming up in Greece, because Greece hasn't seen it yet, so we're very excited about that. I just want to mention, Gina, if people are just tuning in, we're speaking with Gina Belafonte. Uh, Where can people see that documentary? Well, we had it on HBO mm-hmm. for a while, and so I, w- I think it's on HBO. You might be able to still get it on Amazon uh, or iTunes as a download, I would hope. I'm not sure, uh, to be quite honest. Um, but uh, I would check out HBO first, okay. for sure. 
Now, I want to ask you something. I want to back up. You talk about acting, and um, I've taken a bunch of acting classes, and it's interesting how sometimes they do more for you than just teach you the craft, and I think that was true for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, especially because I immersed so much of my life in the practice of of the art of acting. And I started when I was uh, 14 in junior high school, and then I left the school that I was in, the private school, to uh, audition and then get into the high school of performing arts, where I went uh, for my high school years. And then upon graduation, auditioned and got into the State University College of Purchase, SUNY Purchase. Okay. where I was in a, uh, a conservatory program for four years. And then after that, I, can, I pursued you know, a career in acting, not only working in film and television, but I toured with the National Shakespeare Company. I was part of the you know, repertory company, working with artists like Geraldine Page and, and Jackson and F. Murray Abraham and um, Elizabeth Franz. And it was just really great. It was mm-hmm. run by us. Uh, this uh, man, Lee Strasberg's son, John Strasberg, and um, and his and his wife at the time, and um, so I was uh, really dedicated to the craft of acting, which is why I think my father ultimately asked me to become his coach, sure. um, because he respected my process mm-hmm. and he respected uh, my depth of commitment to the craft, and uh, and he too studied acting at um, not only the American Negro Theater, but also at the New School under the oh. directorship of Owen Piscata. So he also, um, and he and he also claims to be the best actor in the world. <laughs> and when people ask him, well, why why do you say that? Because my daughter. Because because I've convinced all of you that I'm a singer. <laughs> um, <laughs> because he doesn't really fashion himself a, a, a singer, a really oh, trained singer. That's funny. He's uh, he was an actor first, um, and that's how he started his singing career. Literally, was through acting. Um, but anyway, so um, yeah, and I so I've dedicated a lot of my life to the practice of the art of acting, and in that practice, it has led me to other practices and certainly spiritual practices because. In revealing the idiosyncratic behavior of characters and taking a deep dive into their psyche and why the, the writer wrote what he wrote and what is the essence of their uh, of their arc of 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 character through the story, you begin to self identify certainly as well as take a look at your own life. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, I uh, that certainly uh, led me. Um, into interesting relationships and also in some of those relationships, one in particular, which is uh, the man I ended up marrying, who is the father of my child, uh, who led me to a spiritual practice that has really guided me for quite some time. It's called the Pathwork, and I'm very proud to be a practitioner of that. And I think the arts in general, um, whatever practice they are, open up hearts and minds and hopefully engage people with the opportunity of taking a deeper understanding of life as we see it, life as it should be, life as it could be, and also taking a deep, hard look in the mirror at who you are and how you walk through the world and, um, and what you do. And certainly when you're acting, similarly to dance, when you look at yourself in the mirror all day long, with acting, um, you know, in the creation and the development of characters, you do look at yourself mm-hmm. to see what parts of yourself you can bring to the character and then what parts you need to research and adapt 
to, you know, your process so that you can have a three-dimensional character and they're not just sort of on face value, you know? Yeah. That is great advice for a lot of people that are tuning in. Perhaps they're actors or interested in the in this profession. Uh, I feel like I would also I would ahead. also just add to that if I could that yes. there's so many incredible rich writers mm-hmm. um, of past centuries and also past decades that really wrote to um, be. Uh, disenfranchisement of our communities into the political bent in our society. Um, you know, whether it was Clifford Odets or whether it was poetry of Langston Hughes, Norville Hurston, or whether it was August Wilson or whoever it was. And so there's also, um, you know, Chekhov, Shakespeare. I mean, these are all writers who really spoke to the times. Yes. And so you were a- you're also able to um, deepen the characters, um, consciousness, um, elevating your own, having a deeper understanding of what was happening in the time of when your character was alive. So if you do your research around who was in office or what was happening politically around you, then you'll have a deeper understanding of possibly the pressures or the neuroses or the the the, the anxiety or whatever the tension is in, in the piece, that often often feeds it as well. Great so there's a, a, there can be a deep political education in a lot of the arts, um, certainly in the writings of many of the artists that um, of, of, of uh, plays that I admire. Yeah, no, that's great advice. So let me ask you this, because being in the arts, it's very tough. It's filled with ups and downs. The name of my show is Get the Funk Out. And I'm always fascinated with uh, if you could offer any advice for how do you deal with a personal, professional funk, perhaps you know, being an actress, you know, or a writer or anything? Um, the professional funk, that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, uh, I think that in any practice, whether you're a lawyer or whether you're whatever you are, it's important that you engage yourself in your community mm-hmm. and engage yourself with your children if you have them, engage yourself with your family if you have the blessed opportunity to be on good terms with them, mm-hmm. and engage uh, yourself in what's happening um, to make the world a better place so, um, so that your, your art and or your job um, are not the only things that you have uh, going on in your life. I also think that, um, you know, to maintain, artists have sometimes very great difficulty maintaining finances and therefore, I think it's important for artists in particular to, um, fortunately, I wish this was different, and I think this needs to change because I think we need more subsidy for the arts and artists, and art needs to be looked at as a tool and as a strategy tool and as a, a tool for so many things, whether it's mental health issues, or whether it's political issues, whether it's just community he- you know, health issues, engagement, yes. education. I mean, we need to look... Uh, we need to be um, accepted into the everyday process of life so that we can make li- a living, too, right. so that we're not like an extra curriculum, but that we're actually part of a curriculum. And in fact, in some ways, I believe art really is the curriculum, and art really is the way to teach math and science and and history and civics and all of those things, because art gives us a different perspective and a different way of looking at things. Um, and so I find that more creative ways, the better. So, you know, I think that when you get into um, the, 
the funk. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to listen to some music or go to a museum. Certainly yes. Get inspired by a, a speech of Dr. King or the writings of Thoreau and Gandhi or uh, listen to uh, Sojourner Truth's uh, words or, you know, listen to Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and listen to uh, operas and hip-hop and compare them and see the similarities. I don't, you know, yes. you have to, one needs to just engage themselves. There's no reason for people to certainly feel like there's nothing to do. You bet. And in terms of a funk, um, I would highly recommend meditation. I, I recommend communing with nature if it's possible, if you can find a way to do it. I would recommend buying a plant and nurturing it and caring for someone outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and something outside of yourself, um, you know, you gotta, you have to, you know, you have to find ways. Deep breathing and meditation, yoga, dancing, singing, offering to help somebody else usually brings me right out of any funk that I'm in because I always realize that there's somebody, somebody's in a greater funk than I am probably somewhere else. You bet. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I certainly feel that in in today's climate and what's happening in the world all around us, there's so much to. Um, to be blessed about and to feel grateful for. Yes. Uh, so that's that would be my advice. I mean, that's what I do. That's fabulous. I, uh, you know, I try and, if I can cook something, if I'm blessed to have enough food in the fridge and create something interesting. But it's all about creating and being um, expanding your imagination and making sure that you can make some time to do that. Because if you take 15 minutes, I think, out of your day to center yourself and get in a realistic place around life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, while it seems very upsetting, um, I think there's ways in which that we can manage the funk. I think that is the best advice I've ever heard on my show. I really Mm. do. Thank you. So where can people find out more about you, Gina? Well, um, certainly tune in to www.com. S-A-N-K-O-F-A dot O-R-G at Sankofa.org. Uh, I am Peace Gina on Instagram, and I'm Gina Belafonte on Facebook and Twitter. And so, you know, engage in all kinds of things and find us. We're right now um, heading into a really um, robust and exciting 40 days of action up in state capitals around the country in over 42 states with the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Okay. And so we encourage your listeners and for your listeners to tell their listeners um, that all around the country, um, find the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, whether it's the national site on Facebook or whether it's your own site in your own state. Uh, and just know that starting on Mother's Day for 40 days into the summer solstice, we'll be um, coming to state capitals to create some... Uh, non-violent moral fusion civil disobedience around the pillars of the Poor People's Campaign that Dr. King ignited in 1968 and 67 and 68 and we're 50 years later and we feel an urge and a call um, for the same exact um, pillars of that movement which we've added um, we've added uh, the environment to that and um, to come with us and be with us uh, with 40 days of straight action, um, calling our elected officials to wake up and really make the poor and poverty part of the agenda. You know, in all of the um, presidential debates, 
throughout the last cycle and even the cycle before that, the poor were never mentioned once. Right. Um, and poverty is never really addressed. And until we can really have a conversation in America specifically about race and slavery, and if we can't really look at the most marginalized in our communities, um, from my perspective, those being transgender black women, mm-hmm. uh, but until we really bring and elevate these voices and let the folks who are most marginalized lead us to a moral imperative, then I feel like we're headed for um, not the p- most pleasant of times, and we find ourselves right. heading in that direction. And so we need to come together and just really say enough is enough. Wow. On that note, I do have to end this segment. But Gina, I want to thank you so much for calling into the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the platform and the opportunity to speak to your audience. Thank you. I hope to meet you sometime. I hope so, too. Take care. You, too. Bye-bye. Peace. That was Gina Belafonte calling in. If you missed any part of this segment... I am just blown away, actually. It will be up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And that was Gina Belafonte. All of her information and also about her nonprofit is up on my blog right now. Again, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And uh, we'll take a little break, and I have two more guests coming on the show. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.